it is oh it's episode 69 <laughs> oh nuts that's why we did that yeah <laughs> We're like we should do nuts i'm like okay <laughs> i almost was like oh i didn't get to see nuts i, I you know maybe i shouldn't do this and then like uh, you know I, I i crammed it in at the last minute oh you oh I- Hello everyone, and welcome back to Talking During the Movie, the show where two jackoffs talk about new movies and movie news. I'm James. And uh, I'm a still micless Mike. Still Mike? Oh yeah, you don't have your mic. And this is episode 69, Mike and James Animated, where we talk about two partially, mostly animated documentaries. It's gonna be a great show. Uh, There's gonna be a lot of balls to juggle, but uh, I think we can. <laughs> I think we can get through this. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we don't want to. We don't want to add too much credence to our namesake of being two jackoffs. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, yes. Yeah, so uh, true, true to episode number, uh, we. Uh, <laughs> Sixty died. <laughs> Sixty died. <laughs> It's sex oh sex. man, it's like it's like mutual oral sex. Oh know? man, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, a flating and uh, and uh, the other one. <laughs> it, uh, 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 cunnilingus. There you go. <laughs> That's it. I was gonna let you get there. You know, you got it. <laughs> I uh, I came eventually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're getting. We're trying to get these out of the way early, but I guarantee you they're gonna come up again because we're just fucking. We're just chuckle fucks over here uh where it's episode 69 we're reviewing a movie called nuts which is about a man in the 30s 40s and 50s who uh, came across this revolutionary surgery to transplant goat testicles to cure impotence in in humans and Um, a a person who i never heard of before in my life but who for that brief period of time might have been like the biggest person in america (laughs) uh yeah like he he very almost became the the governor of kansas and rightfully should have um he kind of invented radio (laughs) he was a bit of a radio pioneer yeah 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 (laughs) i don't i don't want to give too much more of the premise and i'm just going to say this now we're not getting a review now but uh if you ever well, if you if you don't want to have the movie completely ruined for you just by discussing it, which we will, like there's not a really a portion that is spoilers. You you need to watch the movie Nuts, knowing basically nothing about it. And I think what we've told you thus far is a good threshold that'll get you interested. That's what I got interested in when I saw the trailer. I was like, what this weird guy in the old times and transplanting goat testicles? Okay, I'll bite. And then we, and then you get the we, the best experience of the movie. So. What we've told you is the setup. It's the mm-hmm. pitch. It's what it's it's the it's the draw, the hook. Uh, there is more to it, and I will say no more. Yes, that, that's good. Um, and then we're also reviewing a, a movie called uh, Tower, which is a uh, also an animated or mostly animated documentary. This one about the 1966 University of Texas. Uh, shooting where a man climbed the tallest tower in the university and just started shooting people down below and it was rather tragic and uh, I'm not, I can't really spoil anything about this one so I guess 
it's all out there. Yeah. <sighs> um, that that's uh, it's it's gonna be uh, it's, probably up uh, and down. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like this, despite both these films being a- animated documentaries, they share very little else in common. Uh, including and especially their tone, um, one of which obviously is uh, a heavy hitter, and the other is about goat testicles. I mean, I would actually call it. I mean, I, w- I would go as far as to call it a comedy. <laughs> yes, no, it's, I mean, it, yeah. Uh, the director what, even yeah. like added some some comedic elements, or at least like you know played it up, played things off comedically. So yeah, there, there's. I mean, there's a very decisive comic timing to it. That, but I, I actually did. So know, uh, but, testicles. <laughs> bowels it's uh it's, it's very it's it, they're the, the classiest the classiest genitalia jokes you you'll see in the theater this year um and none they, of them will be repeated in this podcast because we're not classy oh no no we're uh <laughs> we're we're poop and fart exclusively <laughs> uh, we're we're shit slingers this is like uh, Team Mike and James. World oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, but uh, the these two documentaries though they are also um, unified in the the fact that they are both very much experimenting with the documentary form. Yes, yeah, and that's a, that's another common thread. They're you know I mean they they use animation to recreate things that that happened and many times you know actors. It, mm-hmm. to voice over those animated roles um you know and things like re- recreations and uh voice acting to portray uh characters that's usually usually qualities of of traditional movies non-documentary movies you know fictionalizations or uh historical films yeah so, i mean it's funny because last week we talked about um OJ, which is, uh, you know, made in America, which is, you know, probably still, uh, you know, uh, I think still pretty firmly the best documentary I've seen all year. But it's also an incredibly, I mean, that that's an incredibly straightforward and journalistic documentary. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that is effective because of how little creative license it really makes use of. It, it its main asset is how holistic and observational it is and i think it, it's funny because what's basically been pushing like as much as i love that film it's kind of uh totally detached from this kind of movement in documentary film uh that's you know kind of been holding my interest for the last couple of years since like the act of killing for example came out where people are taking a more uh, narrative-driven approach and a more creative approach to documentary and introducing more fictionalized or created elements in order to reflect things about, uh, you know, the documentary subject. Um, I I just want to point out that that we are giving the audience the true talking during the movie experience. You know, we have great 
conversation, a dissection almost of the uh, documentary art form. Uh, we have cats meowing in the background, and we got dick and we jokes, have ba- ball jokes. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It's everything. Our podcast is everything. It's eclectic, man. It, says so. says co-host Michael Light, and put that on the fucking website. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's interesting because like it's it, it all it started in like the eighties with Errol Morris's The Thin Blue Line, which did I ever make you watch that? No, no, you haven't. I, I think I've threatened to because <laughs> because of our. Uh, I, well, I do owe you like a like a segment ever since the found footage one. So our, our impending true crime segment, which we're gonna do at some point oh. this year, um, you'll have to watch that. But it, that was kind of the first documentary to make use of even like modest recreations and restagings with actors. Um, and even then it was just live action. It wasn't really anything flashy. And, and, you know, today we wouldn't blink twice at it, but that was the first time it was utilized in a mainstream documentary. And, and people, there's a lot of controversy about that. And I, I find it kind of interesting that the, the way that you experiment with a documentary now, um, in a way that's detached from subject matter is you basically figure out how much fiction you can get away with introducing in order to get to the deeper truth of, what happened or whatever you're talking you know whatever your subject is yeah um, it's, it's it's interesting so documentary is like it, it uh, from the outset it seems like a very straightforward genre and a very straightforward idea and i think that what you know these two films demonstrate as many other films do and, and one thing you have to acknowledge when you're talking about documentary is it's not straightforward at all um what is or what isn't documentary what is appropriate and what isn't um a documentary does not equal journalism mm-hmm. um just as you know it it does not equal uh interpretive film it's it's you know it's it's its own beast and you kind of have to you know look at it you, you kind of have to uh, you know do what you can with it so that's that's what we're going to go for today with these two films and uh, hopefully we can, you know, develop a conversation even between the two, even though they're they're, like you said, stylistically and uh, textually very, very different movies. Well, they do have one other really major thing in common that I forgot to mention, and that's that neither of them, mm-hmm. to varying <laughs> degrees, to varying degrees of, of um, well. I don't know a good word for this. <laughs> to varying degrees of bullshit, um, we're not nominated for best documentary. <laughs> to varying degrees of bullshit seems like the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the word that was in my mind. I was like, "There's got to be a better way to put this." Not bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they were not nominated for best documentary, um, but lots of other movies were nominated for Oscars. Got it. (laughs) You picked up what I put down. (laughs) Oh, man. Nothing gets past old Mike. (laughs) You're the sharpest one between the two of us. Um, Okay, so we're at the the Oscars. Um, Nominations happened on Tuesday. I did not wake up to watch the ceremony live. I thought I I was sleeping on the couch because my back hurt. There's a lot of personal details. And... Uh, I was gonna. I left it up to my cats, who just made an appearance. I was like, if you guys wake me up at 5 a.m., then I'll watch the damn. Oh, I'll watch the damn Oscar nominations live. If you let me sleep, then it wasn't meant to be. So, I I, I did not know. I would be the one texting James 
all the crazy shit that I saw with the nominations. So. I know. I woke up with text from Mike. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I have like a list here. Um, and I'm actually glad I did because this is a good way to keep track of my, uh, you know, most egregious snubs and the, the biggest observations I had about uh, about the Oscars. So hopefully these are the ones that stood out to me the most. Because, um, of course, you got you to do this every single year. It's it's you, you open that page on the Oscars website or on you know, whatever Wikipedia in my case. Wikipedia. Yeah. Whatever site you're using. Just, just with the forefront of your the, the in the forefront of your mind is the question: What did they fuck up? What did they snub? What did they get wrong? Uh, I don't give a shit about about what they did right. So <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't care. That, You're looking for who you wanted or who you did not wanted to show who did not want not, to show up. This it's not why we do this. Actually, there is a, a funny funny little anecdote though. Um, I woke up and I was just bleary eyed, of course, because you know. I'm waking up in the morning trying to look at a bright screen. I'm just like, ow, ow. And for for whatever reason, the the Oscar for best, I think, costume design? Yeah, it was best costume design. That section on Wikipedia hadn't populated yet. So it went through my mind. I'm like, did they nominate no one for best costume design? <laughs> I'm like, that is going to be so controversial. Oh, my God. I need to read about this. Like, it's like, yeah, costumes suck this year. Eh. Uh, we said fuck it. We gave the big middle finger to every person working in costuming in the industry for every film. Three, 336 films were eligible for the Oscars this year. Not a one of them was good enough. Uh, un- unfortunately and fortunately, uh, not the case. <laughs> so, Yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, uh, also now we can uh, officially say that uh, Suicide Squad is the Academy Award nominated film Suicide Squad and if we're measuring by Academy Awards it is is just as good as the film we reviewed last week in silence just as good Mike okay if, if, if we have a number one snub that just gets gets me the most it's that one for me that's uh that that that's the unforgivable just absolute bullshit especially because it wouldn't even require gets getting rid of any one of the best picture nominees to have it up there no it, it there's, would, only, it, nine there's only nine nominated. nominees and honestly, I th- I'm sorry. I think you could get rid of a couple of them. So just, just saying. There's like, I, silence. I think is one of the crowning achievements of one of the greatest American filmmakers ever. It's, it's definitely one of his most personal films. It, it's one that's gonna stay with me for a long, long time. Uh, one of the most interesting pieces on religion and devo- devotion uh, to an idea that I've ever seen in my life. And I, like, I just think it's a, a towering work of art. And nothing is nominated for nothing except cinematography, which is greatly deserved. It, it deserves that nomination, yeah. Yes, it does. Um, yes, it does. I don't even think it deserves to win Best Cinematography. I think that that should either go to uh, La La Land or Moonlight, um, both of which uh, were phenomenally shot uh, and, and had some of the most interesting use of color I've ever seen. Um, but uh, either way, it belongs in that category. It belongs in that discussion. 
Um, but I don't, I don't understand how it's not in Best Picture, not in Best Director, not in particularly the acting. How none of the actors were nominated. Andrew Garfield uh, was nominated. A- a- Andrew Garfield was nominated for Hacksaw Ridge. For Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, and I, I want to point out that I predicted that on air, but I may have cut that part out because we were running very long last week. But Which we might do again this week, so who knows if this will even make it in, mm-hmm. in the cut. We'll see. We gotta, uh, yeah, there you go. Well, we gotta do a, a DVD of like best outtakes, best cut scenes <laughs> from from talking during the movies. Talking during the movie, deleted scenes. <laughs> just a treasure trove of just just dicks and cock shafts everywhere. <laughs> Probably like accidentally offensive things, you know, like oh, misspoken. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I've uh, I've made a few uh, uncouth Hitler comparisons in my day. <laughs> I remember exactly the one you're talking about. <laughs> I have quite a few couth ones, if you know what I mean. I know. Oh uh, <laughs> yes, I know you know what I'm talking about. It's from a long time ago, and I'm still I'm still going to live in perpetual fear that that one's going to come back and bite me in the ass. And... <laughs> It was actually before. It was actually in our archived episodes. Like it, 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 it was wasn't our proto, even. It was in our proto show. Yeah, our proto show was before our show proper, before episode episode one mm-hmm. of talking during the movie, where we poorly reviewed It Follows and The Babadook. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Good times though. Yeah. No, it's true. I I do live by. Uh, I think it's Ralph Waldo Emerson's motto of the first draft of everything is crap. So. That's what I consider that. I consider that, you know, our first draft. We were we were doing it, but you know, it, yeah, it's you know you don't. Uh, that was Ernest Hemingway, James. Damn it! Fuck. I was like that. That was like that does not sound like Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yeah. Wh- okay. All right. So let's actually dig into this sh- this shit a little bit. Um. So yes, uh, I, I've already aired my laundry about about silence. I I think it's. I, I think it's unforgivable how how much they snubbed it. That's my uh, that's my Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler uh, for 2017. That's or for you know the 20 Oscars for 2016 movies. That's uh, that, that mm-hmm. for me. That's the the black mark on it. Um, but there are also some other surprise snubs. Um, uh, Amy Adams, I think, is uh, I'm not the first one to observe this that uh, she might be turning. Uh, she might be uh, shaping up to be the next Leo in terms of. Uh, I, I was gonna say I was gonna say Jake uh, Gyllenhaal almost, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but she, uh, yeah, it, I mean, she has been nominated at least. So it's I don't true, know. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, yeah, but not this year. She was in two, uh, pretty astounding lead roles this year, uh, in, in both Arrival, uh, which and, seems to be the main awards darling this year. So um, that would have been probably the one to nominate her for, but also in Nocturnal Animals. Yes, which, which I, I think deserved a nomination for every performance, every major yeah. performance in it. Uh, Mike, do you realize, though, what you've just done? What have I done? By bringing up Amy Adams not getting a, a Best Actress nomination, do you realize what you've done? Oh, I do realize that I've basically lined up the shot for you to uh you know, I, I think this is probably going to be like the fifth show in a row something like that probably <laughs> fifth i you know where yeah uh-huh i mean look it ain't going away I, I, this is going to be a, a specter on this podcast for a long time so might as well bring it up it's the uh 
It's the... I can't think of a clever twist on Elephant in the Room for this, but it's the Elephant in the Room. Yeah, no, I don't know if there's anything clever there. It's fucking Florence Foster Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking Florence Foster Jenkins. Fuck you. Fuck. 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 Really? Duh. It's... This stupid fucking bullshit. <laughs> if this was anyone else, anyone else was playing this role besides Meryl, uh, give me an Oscar Streep, then this movie would have gone nowhere because everyone would have seen it for what it was. But Meryl Streep just gives people like Academy Award beer goggles. They just they can't see the flaws in the movie or the character or anything because fucking Meryl Streep's in it. It's just it's blinders. Florence Foster Jenkins is the exhibit A through Z. If I was doing a court case, this would be the only film I brought as my evidence. You know, this would be I would hand over the discovery file. It would just be the Wikipedia page. That's it. And the 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 prosecutor or whoever would assume they have it in the bag but god damn it i would stand up there like i am now on my fucking pedestal talking about how terrible this movie is and how it's morally reprehensible and how meryl streep's performance while i suppose good is not novel enough to a warrant an oscar nomination and b make this movie worth discussion at any level Sir, you are uh, you're bringing a charge to trial of murder. This is quite a serious charge. Uh, who is the victim? Cinema. <laughs> ah, I see. And, uh, and and what evidence do you present? Well, Your Honor, you see, I have it all on tape. <laughs> and then you just proceed to play all of Florence Foster Jenkins for for everybody, and like half of them hate it, just like you. But then the other half just like start crying and applauding, <laughs> and then they just give it a bunch of awards. And one of them's the judge, and there's nothing you can do about it, James. I'm sorry. Ah! This, this metaphor has been hijacked. And uh, <laughs> you know what's you know what's particularly disgusting is I uh, I've I've come across not not a negligible amount of uh, people saying that uh, Simon Helberg was snubbed. No. <laughs> you, no, you didn't. I did. You, you're joking. You're, you're not did. serious. I'm absolutely. Serious. <laughs> you, you're saying this to get a rise out of me to make Dude, the show I'm, better. You I'm know, it's not. Like... Okay, I work at a. I work at an ad company, <laughs> and I have to go through lots of TV. And I'm telling you, on multiple award or on multiple shows, th- these are not film critics, mind you, but still, on multiple uh-huh. shows, people were saying. <laughs> That uh, uh, surprise that Simon Helberg did not get a nomination. I, you know, I don't even know that I mentioned his name when I went on this rant. So in case you don't know, this is the guy I compared to to the Joker or said he was undergoing the effects of Joker toxin slowly throughout the movie. It, it was comedically awful, like Razzie-worthy bad performance. <laughs> uh-huh. I... Um. Uh, Golden Globe and, nominated performance. Golden Globe nominated, <laughs> Golden Globe nominated Razzie worthy performance. Uh, and it almost sounds like you're about to turn into the Joker because you're starting to laugh, and I know you're livid, so it's it's a little scary. I am. I am. I'm gonna I'm gonna 
shift this over to to you, make you live in. Um, because also what this underscores, if not Amy Adams, I think someone who was nominated in another category deserves to be in the Best Actress category. And that's Viola Davis in Fences. Oh, yeah! What the fuck? I'm, I... D- I'm sorry, yeah, I forgot about this. Okay, yeah, so apparently Viola Davis is not considered the lead actress in Fences. She is a supporting actress. A supporting actress. She has, like, uh, she has major dialogue lines in almost every scene. Probably a good amount, you know, maybe not as much, but a, a, a good amount in comparison to uh, to Denzel Washington, who, by the way, is nominated in the Best Actor category not best supporting actor but apparently viola davis is a supporting actress i mean look i mean we've talked about this like last year like category fraud it just it happens and it's not the end of the world but in this case it's like it it actually ends up affecting how we see performances in the long run and and whether or not uh amy dicaprio adams is you know gets a nomination (laughs) Uh, you also, uh, you know, the irony of this is the, um, the, what they're going to play at the Oscars when they're, they're going through all the supporting, uh, supporting actresses, they're going to play the scene <laughs> where Viola Davis yells at Denzel Washington that she gave up her life to stand in the same spot as him. I've been standing which, with which, you. Which thematically places them as equals uh-huh. in the context of the film and the play on which it is well the i'm sorry the play and the movie on which it is based yep um uh and i'm sorry viola but apparently you did not apparently you gave up all of your life to stand <laughs> a couple rungs below him because you are not considered the lead actress in this fucking movie i like if she's not the lead actress who the fuck is that is, that is baffling to me i i cannot believe it i don't I, I read this play. I read this play in in high school. She is clearly framed as the like. I mean, not the protagonist, but basically like the second top character in the in the entire piece. Yeah, the counterpoint. She's the counterpoint. She is. She is so s- essential to this story. She almost certainly has more screen time uh, and more lines in this than uh, like, for example, Rosamund Pike had in Gone Girl. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. I don't have numbers to back this up, but I'm just like, if if what I've said is incorrect, I would I will apologize, but I would be amazed. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there's, <laughs> man. I'm sorry. I'm truth just... is, truth is very tenuous lately, so I feel the need to like make it incredibly clear when I'm not 100 percent certain about something. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to that too. Um, oh. I, I also learned. That I apparently need to see Lion? Yeah, uh, according to uh, the Weinstein Company. Hey, look. Hey, hey, James. James. Yeah. The Weinsteins paid a lot of money for these nominations, okay? <laughs> I paid good so money for these. You, so don't you go questioning them. I'm just like, wh- what? They paid a lot of money. Like, I saw Lion. I didn't see it yet, uh, but I saw it come out and I saw it get you know, decent reception in terms of like end of year consideration. It's been like nowhere. I I don't even know if it's represented at all on the, um, uh, award nomination scorecard. It's not on critics top 10. I know that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Lion is is not represented in any category on the 2016 Film Awards nomination scorecard. I mean, it's it has it was given them in the individual awards, like nominated for some, but in terms of actually earning enough prestige to show up in the top five or ten of any of these categories, it's it's not there. So, you know, I just it wasn't really on my radar. I figured maybe I have time then I'll see it. But now I'm just like, I, I don't want to walk into the Academy, walk into the Pickford Film Center and see the Academy Awards having not seen this movie that is apparently mm. a big deal. It's the only it's the only it's... Best Picture nominee that I haven't seen. And I honestly, I did not see that coming. I was like, okay, I'm going to have seen all the Best Picture nominees. I was that confident. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the thing is, like, it's, it's kind of shaping up to be this year's Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Which, um, while not well, uh, like while not necessarily a reflection on the quality of the movie, it's a reflection of, <laughs> I, I guess, it highlights how what distinguishes the Academy Awards from other, uh, from other film awards because it's, uh, I mean, this is a film that was heavily campaigned for and that the Weinstein Company put a lot of money behind, so it's 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 gonna show that it like like basically it's a reflection of uh campaigning more so than actual momentum from critics and audiences like no one knew or cared much about lion um i have not seen lion i can't say it's a dud uh i can only say that this is seems to be a film that was completely intended to dot to um i guess to to stake a claim at the Oscars, and uh, it, 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 yeah, it, it looks like they it did it, it. They made a bed for it, and now it's laying in it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, this. <sighs> well, you know what? Both both Deb Patel and Nicole Kidman did get uh, Screen Actor Guild nominations. So okay. uh, I suppose if, if you're looking at the gills, which are, of course, the most important ones, it's not the biggest surprise. No, no, it's just a uh, it, it just highlights the different. I mean, like, I don't know. This seems to be it, it's just one of those films that is only there for inside industry reasons, which is why it seems so baffling to us um, who only look at it from that from a stance of quality like of course the best picture should be nominated for best picture uh-huh. um so like you know where is <laughs> silence I, I, uh, yeah where's silence where's silence where's like confined room for the handmaiden or you know something like patterson or oh, well, you, you know, know like, like foreign and documentary too i felt like i came really well armed to oscar nominations i was like man i've seen a ton of good documentaries this year, like more than could be nominated. And uh, I've seen a ton of good foreign films this year too. Like, and uh, you know, I hadn't, I know I haven't seen all of them. Like I haven't seen like things to come and Tony Erdman. Um, I'm getting there though. And uh, so I was like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm interested in being a better part, so to speak of, of those, uh, of those nominees as well. And then of course there's always curveballs in those categories and animated movies for that matter. Mm -hmm. Those are the three categories that they sort of like carve their own path in, which in in a way is a good thing. But you know, uh, I also <laughs> have more homework to do, I suppose. Yeah. Um. Actually, the documentary is kind of pointing out something interesting to me because we have three of them 
uh, three of the nominees focused on uh, the issue of race in America um, and uh, you know, a- a- applied to different elements of American life. One is a kind of a more, you know, OJ is more of a, you know, a broad depiction of, uh, you know, the entire cross section of race relations uh, w- with the police in the 19, basically throughout the latter part of the 20th century. Um, and framing the OJ case within that context, so it's it's a much more you know, uh, bur- it, it's a much broader view of the issue. Then you have Thirteenth, uh, which is specifically focused on uh, uh, criminal uh, about mass incarceration, basically. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then I'm not your Negro, which is uh, primarily about uh, uh, it, it basically looks at the issue of race in America through the writings of James Baldwin. So, uh, but, but still all addressing, you know, the, the same theme. Um, and that kind of made me realize that th- this, these, the nominations are very, I think, um, I don't want to say they're, you know, influenced overtly by, <laughs> Oscar's so white because mainly because I think that you know I'm 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 a I'm happy to the diversity but also pretty much all of them uh, seem deserved to I me. I mean, OJ made American Thirteenth definitely deserved. No, no, that. I mean like in the entire like in all of the nominations. Period. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like I could take umbrage with hidden figures for sure. Um, <laughs> like, like I think. Uh, that, that yeah, I be- was I was preparing for that actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I, I mean, I'm not gonna like go on a rant about it, but I'm like, I think that's probably there because of Oscar's so white. Um, I mean, and, and I also want to be clear that when we say this, we don't mean that these movies were created because of them. No, these, many. I'm a certain many, if not all, of these movies were already in production when this controversy was happening. It's just a matter of what's going to get attention. You know, that that whole controversy sort of refocused the you know the industry and industry voters in the academy on films about issues of race so that's going to be what's most in their consciousness and in the you know in the forefront of their minds and therefore that's what going to be what they vote for whether yeah. or not it, it is deserved yeah and, and like i said for the most part i mean mo- most of the films that i see nominated uh, that i i think you know you know could potentially have have been more likely to be selected because of Oscar So White. I'm not really taking much umbrage with it. Like they they're they're very for the ones I've seen. They're they're solid films or great performances and 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 generally well deserved. Um, however, I do feel I, the only reason I'm even bringing this up, other than to say, hey, that's really cool. We have more diversity in the nominations this year, is to say that uh, I think that that is also partly to make the uh, all too obvious eventuality go down a bit smoother um, because it's quite clear based on the record breaking, I guess tied for record breaking, <laughs> 14 nominations it's received that La La Land is going to be the uh, the absurdly uh, it is going to be by far the most awarded film of the night. It's going to be the huge winner. It's going to win Best Picture. It's going to win. It's it's very. It has a very good chance to break the before. record of eleven wins. It, you know, it at, could. The, at the Oscars. It very it easily could. could. It could. It's a big if, but it could. Um, it's like it's tied for most noms 
with uh, All About Eve and Titanic. Mm-hmm. You know, those, those shitty films. Those, who fucking cares? <laughs> those two. Both on AFI's top 100, whatever. Fuck, did you, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, La La Land is by far the most awarded film this year. One of the three most awarded films of all time. Um, it is, yeah, it, it's, I mean. Uh, I want to say real quick, I, too, that yeah. I'm surprised we got this far into the the segment about the Oscars without mentioning La La Land, so go no, on. I'm, well, I think that's a good thing. I kind of. I wanted to, you know, it's good to, I think, air the small grievances out. Okay, I, actually, it, one more small grievance. B- ben Foster was snubbed, and I'm fucking pissed because Jeff, for, for Hell or High Water. Cause oh, Jeff, yeah. Well, we've been saying that forever. I even said that in the review. I was like, I think they're going to go with Jeff Bridges. And they did. Jeff Bridges is, best, is, is nominated for Best Supporting Role, which, fine, he did really well. But I, look, the star of that movie, the best performance, bar none, was Ben Foster, and I knew they weren't going to give him lead actor because they were going to get that to Chris Pratt because Ben Foster is just too fucking nuts in that movie to be considered the lead actor by the Academy. Okay, whatever, fine. Uh, d- give him a nom, but apparently no, that was asking too much. I um, yeah, and bef- uh, my mi- minor gr- minor grievances are Nocturnal Animals should have been nominated in a lot more things. I think it's just. The one, right, with Michael Shannon for Best Supporting yeah, Actor. I think and so. I also want to say that Andrew Garfield and Michael Shannon are sort of it feel they feel like apology nominations to me. Like awarded uh, them for other roles. Yeah, exactly. Like, in like particularly homes. even like last year. Yeah, Ninety Nine Homes. Andrew Garfield yeah. and Michael Shannon. They're both in there. And you know, as much as I love all the performances in Nocturnal Animals, like. Uh, maybe I'm just like maybe I'm just bored by how good Michael Shannon is, but I I, uh, I, yeah, I felt like I I had seen be... I felt like he was maybe the weakest in the movie, and I've seen him in a lot a lot better in other movies. But as I said, maybe I'm just like he's just so good, uh, it just doesn't phase me anymore. God I just... damn it, Michael Shannon! Can't you be groundbreaking in a different way? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> hey, I mean, get the, get that man, get that man an Oscar. I mean, I love, I, I love after Werner Herzog worked with him. He's just like, why does nobody see he is the best actor of his generation and i'm like fuck like Werner Herzog, I, I, like his head over heels in love with michael shannon and it's fucking awesome yeah <laughs> i'm like yeah he should be everyone should be um so yeah I, i'm assuming that in a year or two from now ben, Fos- ben foster's gonna get a couple of uh sympathy or apology uh, award nominations for uh being ignored in hell or high water but yeah. you know, no, knowing him, he'll probably deserve those too. So I <laughs> that's um, good. But yes, yeah, so La La Land's totally gonna win. Um, it is a perfect storm because a, it is a really great and enjoyable film that I loved. Uh, it's gorgeous. Um, I've seen it twice. I will probably go see it again before it's out of theaters because I just really enjoyed it that much. Um, it, it, it's awesome. I'm not gonna be mad if it wins when it wins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, let's, we let's all, not kid ourselves here. <laughs> we all know it. We all know it. Um, and, and also, it's, you know, once again, Hollywood filleting itself. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's hard for me to be upset. I know a lot of people will be. Um, and well, honestly... And a lot of people who are I, upset make an interesting point, you know? Moonlight, Moonlight should be the winner this year. I will say this. Moonlight is... I, I, this is not a reflection of 
how I view these films in relation to one another. This is just me reflecting on a year in both cinema and in pop and in, you know, just, just the world and culture in general. Um, and I think that the film that stands out the most has, has most that, that is most intimately in conversation with the year in which it came out. And the one that's going to define this year and be the, the takeaway, the film takeaway from 2016, I think is, is quite handedly moonlight. Um, and, it, it is it is a groundbreaking film. It's a phenomenal movie. Um, I, I I love it dearly, and I think that it should win Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to, and I think that's going to. <laughs> I think that's going. To, that's like I think I think some of these nominations. Honestly, I think they might be to make this go down smoother because they are going to be some pissed people that the year that this groundbreaking piece of African-American cinema comes out, the year after Oscar So White and the year that Donald Trump takes office, they're going, they're going to award big time whitey, whitey, la la land. Yeah, and I think this has, I think the 89th Academy Awards is tied for most minority actors nominated and, ha- and actually set the record for most african-american uh, actors nominated so yeah yeah that's um yeah but so, so, la la that, land. which is great but la la land is gonna win <laughs> and um so i don't know i've been like preparing a a statement that i will just <laughs> deliver every single time someone's like aren't you mad moonlight didn't win that's basically just I loved both films dearly, so I find it very hard to get upset one way or the other. Blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, I Moonlight should probably Moonlight should win. It's not going to, um, and I'm okay with that. And I'm not mad. I love yeah. I love all, and I, I can't be mad about that. But so I do want to I do want to yeah. wrap up the Academy Awards segment, but I also want to bring up one last point one last question i suppose and i'll, pro- I'll propose to you first i'll, I'll pose to you first <laughs> i could propose to you too if you wanted me to <laughs> i mean it is this it's so sudden yeah <laughs> okay let's do this um yeah. no I'll, I'll pose the question to you first do you think that this year has a spotlight which is to you, say do you, you think a- it has an upset best picture winner no because i think last year didn't have a clear best picture winner yeah, I mean, it was it was funny last year how uh, I noted last year how Spotlight went from a front runner to a dark horse to the best to the winner of Best Picture, you know? Well, because because the Moonlight la- look the Moonlight last year was Fury Road, yes, and that was never going to happen. No, no. So then um, it became sort of a big short versus The Revenant because yeah. The Revenant of all the momentum, the best director win, well nomination, and what turned out to be a win, and then yeah. And I would say the, the big short because of the PGA win, which shocked the world. I would say the Revenant was the closest to being the La La Land of last year, but it's not like like it had been. I mean, it's not as egregious Bird, a nomination. Bird, Bird, Birdman was the La La Land of 2014. Like it was the film about Hollywood, where they're going to award them. You know, they're basically going to uh, you know navel gaze and award themselves. Not Michael Keaton, because fuck you. 
Because fuck you. God damn Great. it. I, I want to be clear. We've said this before, though, but he, he wasn't my favorite performance of the year. Of the people nominated, he, he should have won phenomenal. by a landslide. Definitely, yeah. Um, in that horrible, horrible year. Horrible. <laughs> for best no actor. Good, terrible, very good, very bad. But no yeah. good, very bad year. Um, it, so, like, last year didn't have, like... I don't know. I, I didn't see them going for an Inuritu film two years in a row. Um, especially one that was like as empty as The Revenant. Like, like The Revenant has so few governing ideas behind it that like you're really, you're really, I mean, it, it here's the thing. It is, I feel like it was there for the same reason Fury Road was there, which was for the technical awards. And yeah, of course, a couple of the acting, whatever. But it was basically there as a technical achievement, and even the Academy, I don't think, found much depth in there. Mind you, I think Fury Road had plenty more going on for it, thematically and and yeah, like, in terrific. spades. But, I mean, in spades. But uh, the Revenant, it, that's why they put it there, and I think the Revenant was, you know, in the running for a similar reason. So it just it didn't have that strong contender. So I think that's why you get something like Spotlight, which is totally solid movie. Um, and no one in their right mind would ever be mad about that winning. <laughs> no, no one. It's not going to go down as any kind of like bad year for best picture or anything like, like that. It's it's going to be fine. Uh, it's not going to stand out, though. It's not going to be anyone's like top 10 best picture of all time. I mean, maybe yours. I don't know. It's it's really good. It, it is. It is one of the great journalism films. Yeah. Um, because a, journal, a great journalism film can only ever really have so much stylism attached to it. <laughs> So like, I mean, like we both know that, and I think that's why we both loved it as much as we did. Mm-hmm. But as a movie, it, it is pretty much propelled along by the drama of its actual, like of of the slow unfolding of this scandal, and and, and you know, it, it doesn't do anything revolutionary cinematically. So La La Land does very much so, and, <laughs> or I get you know at the, at the very least, it is so much, uh, you know, it, it it's. I like that I at least got you to come around on that pool scene, though. <laughs> yeah, I get at least it. a little bit <laughs> around. Uh, I don't. I don't come around and around and around. Around around and around. And around. <laughs> it is. I just noticed it the more the second time. I still say, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna criticize La La Land for that, but then not care when Wolf of Wall Street uh, depicts excess in an excessive way. Then you know I I will take umbrage with that. I'll I'll call yeah, you. Yeah, I'll have to. I don't know. I'll, I'll, like, like, I will, I will agree that I maybe I should I should watch The Wolf of Wall Street with perhaps a more a more peeled eye, a more. If you, I mean, like that's the thing. I understand the notion of saying you know just because it's depicting excess doesn't mean it has it has to be so obnoxious. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I did not find it obnoxious my first time around. I only found it. I, I only noticed it. And then was just kind of overwhelmed by it after you had pointed it out to me. And I'm like, okay. Because before I was just like, oh, this is a, like, great scene that's kinetic. It's fun. But also, like, you can tell they're really, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, it ends in a fucking barrage of fireworks, for Christ's sake. Like, they're clearly, it's clearly exaggerated for effect. And and, and that was cool with me. It it wasn't indulgent. Well, and I think this is just something I I liked about... I mean, well, this is probably just a microcosm for my feelings about La La Land versus uh, his previous film, Whiplash, because Whiplash was able to disorient you in a way that was a lot more, I, I think, creative. And I, I, I pointed this out. I don't know if I pointed it out on air, but it's when he 
when he breaks the 180 180 degree rule coinciding with when miles teller is being slapped so he's effectively slapping the audience in the face as well yeah <laughs> you know it's it's yeah. a, but i mean in that way it was a lot it, it was a lot simpler and the jarring felt more more intimate so uh, as i said i but, think that's sure. I, I said as much in our review that i think la la land is just sort of like the worst version of whiplash and maybe i'll be yeah, even I, pro on that as the year goes on and as i see la la land mm-hmm. more but that's sort of yeah, a I, microcosm for my feelings yeah i say i i would like i was like i i disagree with that i my my arguments that's basically the flip side of the coin that whiplash is a part of <laughs> like they're both basically about you know uh the the drive to be artists and whiplash is entirely about the work and the practice and the intensity um and la la land is about the motivation you know because because la la land never really answers the question of you know how hard one has to work in order to be successful you know sebastian could just kind of play the piano and knows jazz you know yeah, really yeah. Like that. and mia is you know she's a struggling actress but she's kind of just waiting for her you yeah know, she's clearly talented She's clearly talented. She's talented. She's waiting to be discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if Damien Chazelle hadn't made Whiplash before, I would kind of, you know, hold that against the movie a bit more. But the thing is, like, Whiplash is entirely about that that drive and that work and the relentless uh, exertion of, you know, just trying to get this perfect. And like Damien Chazelle clearly knows what goes into being a great artist. Um, uh, but also whiplash doesn't really concern itself at all with why miles teller wants to be you know what what compels him to be a jazz drummer in fact just watching the mm-hmm. movie i was like why would the fuck would you want anything to do with this world this is nightmarish <laughs> uh, so i just see them as two different sides of the same fundamental they're, they're of a piece for sure so yeah so i don't i, I didn't hold that against la la land i um and uh, yeah i don't know i uh like that's the thing i understand what you're saying about it being excessive but a that was definitely intentional it's not like it was done without any sense of uh without any sense of self-awareness like it knows what it's doing and and we are both very clear that just because it's self-aware doesn't mean it's justified um but then in, in that case for me it, it for me it worked but for if you would for you it didn't that's fine but then i'd also like to know why does that not work for you but then something like wall street which takes stylistic excess mm-hmm. uh to an extreme as well why does that mesh better with you well and i don't have an answer for that i would love to i would love okay. to find an answer for that um it um, gives me like exciting homework to do <laughs> and i mean that's that's the thing with with la la land it, it, it's so funny because everyone i show it to um, almost everyone they have like some i think they enjoy it overall but they have like they're not as ecstatic about it as i am um and they have some it's so weird because everyone and their mother seems to love this movie but then when i show it to actual people they're <laughs> all like i think maybe maybe i hype it up too much beforehand or something but they, yeah, i don't know <laughs> they all walk away with like it, not only do they have criticisms but they're like very minute to me they're like oh the you know um i mean fuck you did this you're like sound oh, mixing. The sound mixing, which again, I have, I, I cannot pick up on a problem with it. I really can't. <laughs> um, I, I, part of it might be the fact that they're shooting on location. I don't, I don't know. Um, like a, another person talked about the lighting, like a particular, like like in that opening bit, actually, the, the lighting wasn't quite. Huh. I'm like, well, they're outside, so it's possible that they, you know they're shooting on location. 
I'm like, I'm sorry. I was paying attention to the the incredible single take and the choreography and the colors and fuck. I don't know. And that's the thing. No one's criticism of the film is the same. It's all like they all have a different thing to point out Mm -hmm. and they're all I don't know. It all seems very minute to me and not actually that relevant to the overall scheme of what the film's going for. So yeah. I don't know. I've like. I think. I, I think. Um, mind you, mind you. I, I I did kind of use the allegory of a, uh, or as I, I used an example of like a song you really like that then becomes really popular and gets overplayed on the radio. And I, <laughs> I, I I am feeling that a bit with La La Land, and that does kind of make me a bit bummed. Like honestly, what I think the what I think is going to be the the crowd favorite for Best Picture is Arrival. I don't think that's even really a question. It's the one that most everyone has seen, and everyone who I know who's seen it has been really high on it. So yeah, and I and I I mean I'm high on it too. I liked it more than you did in our review. I I, I just thought it had some narrative that. problems that I couldn't really get over. So all right, I I, I like thought thought it was. I, I I thought the the chances it took with its narrative structure and and uniting it with its themes I went I I thought that it all worked together very smoothly in a way that you didn't necessarily think it did that, that that's fine we had a good conversation about that mm-hmm. um um and, and I I will just say this I am so happy to see it get as many nods as it did Amy Adams notwithstanding and especially especially Denis Villeneuve yeah, for best yeah, director that was that, that was really awesome. great. Actually, I will say this: I would give up. Um, I would give up its best cinematography nomination for uh, Amy Adams' best actress. Like I would, I would, <laughs> because the cinematography wasn't really that special to me. Like, I don't know. It, it wasn't shot by. Um, uh, oh, oh my god! Why am I forgetting? I'm so sorry. Uh, he works with the Coens all the time. Oh god, this is ridiculous. He's like one of the biggest names in the fucking industry. Um, Roger Deakins. I'm sorry, what? Roger, Roger Deakins. Yeah. Roger Deakins. Yeah. Yeah, Roger Deakins. Uh, He's where he shot Sicario. He and, shot uh, Prisoners. Yes, exactly. And uh, you know, he he didn't work on this. I have a feeling it would have been uh, even a bit slicker looking if like like all the all the best shots in the movie looked very like storyboarded to me like like something that Denis Villeneuve had in his head yeah I mean they're just they're just shots that's the thing they're, it's like they're, they're just they're, still images exactly, basically exactly exactly they're still images that like I'm sure Denis Villeneuve had in his head and that you know the cinematographer was able to film with competency I don't really sense a strong cinematographer's presence in this so yeah it's uh you know I, I could do without that nomination and I think I, I would I would not that I'm objecting to it but I would take that out in exchange for Amy Adams, if I could. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, and like, yeah, if, if a film, if a sci-fi film is going to break the sci-fi barrier in the Academy Awards, uh, I think it deserves to be something like Arrival, not Avatar, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I, I think it's kind of nuts that that was the second film to get nominated for uh, second sci-fi film to get nominated for best picture after star Wars. Um, I don't know. It, it should have been like children of men or something like that. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, although I, yeah, I'm super happy arrival made it. Um, I, I well deserved in my book. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm sure we missed stuff, but we probably have to move probably on regardless. Probably, and... But I will say, I mean, overall it, it really is not that controversial of a, um, of a ballot. No, you know? and I'm certainly, 
far less upset about this than I have been in the past. So, <laughs> yeah, like I like I said, I have my couple snubs that I am super pissed about, but I know that always happens no matter what. And, uh, yeah, I mean, o- overall, there's nothing super egregious about this. I would flip out a few of the best pictures, but like even the acting noms are other other than Meryl Streep pretty solid and. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's I, I'm interested to uh, speculate more in the coming weeks. Yeah, no, I mean, and we're gonna find out really soon. With, I mean, I think it's Saturday is when the Guilds. Producers Guild Awards are uh, winners are announced. So cool. So we'll have something like this every single recording until the actual ceremony. Until the actual ceremony. What actually though, um, the Oscars, you know, those aren't what you got to look forward to gotta look forward to, to our awards which we're announcing and doing uh, yes. for the first time uh yes tentatively uh, i guess titled the unconventional awards because i'm not very creative um well, but we can, we can come up with uh we can come up with uh, some, some clever wordplay i think we can i think i think it could be a workshop title you know we're, it, we'll we'll have it prepared by the day of the big show yeah. Or we'll just call them the unconventional awards if you know we haven't come up with anything else. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be really conventional and call them the unconventional awards. Um, and the, it, this we're gonna we're planning to do. We have a schedule where the week before the Oscars we do our top ten lists of of twenty sixteen. Um, by then we should have seen everything that we need to see. Or, mm-hmm. or we that's our deadline. So if we haven't seen everything at that point, then fuck it. Um, mm-hmm. And then the week of the Oscars, we obviously will be covering the Oscars. And then the week afterwards, after the Oscars, it's the real show. That's our awards. Yeah. Uh, which, as I said, we've tentatively titled the Unconventional Awards. We don't have official nominations yet, but we do have official categories. Um, which te- the first one is the probably the best one to talk about right now. It's called the Oscars are bullshit award. It's the the best film that would never in a million years ever 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 uh, be nominated at the Academy Awards. Uh, which which isn't always that different from our favorite film of the year. So um, not always. That, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, last year it wasn't our favorite last film year. was Phoenix. Wasn't nominated and technically yep. wasn't even eligible for the Academy Awards last year. So. Yep. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, I'm excited for that. Um, uh, James came up with the, this, actually, I think James came up with almost all of these. Um, and, you know, cause I, I think all, I came up with maybe like five. You got um, all the good ones first. You bastard. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> uh, but I, I love this one. Uh, it's a great idea. The Captain Le Ship Award, uh, which goes to the best film without a strong, uh, director or auteur presence behind it. Uh, but, but still, films still that are great. driven by other elements besides direction, primarily. Sure. Totally. Like, like Spotlight I, was, as we already said in this podcast, it's the dramatic happenings of what what literally happened and the performances that really made that movie. Whereas the director was sort of he took a back seat, you know. Uh, yeah, there so wasn't, the, no one will remember the director in in a million years. Like, uh, like think of stuff like the Imitation Game, or you know. Um, I, I'm just looking at random critics top ten list movies to yeah yeah <laughs> to, to give people an idea. But yeah, just just like where the director is almost nowhere in the actual discussion of the film itself. Mm-hmm. So um, I, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool because uh, you can definitely throw a wrench in on tour theory with uh, 
with with some pretty impressive work that comes out by no nobody directors. Um, <laughs> I mean, in a way, these first two are kind of like our anti Oscar awards, uh, but I don't. But that's uh, not really the, the major theme because our our next award is the Mike or James Award, um, which goes to the best comedy or horror film of the mm-hmm. year. So we basically get to decide which of our, I guess, favorite genres. Um, one out it produced the better movie mm-hmm. which i like the, the what the yeah the genres that we have a more intimate knowledge of because james is kind of like my horror guru so i i, I if there was a uh yeah i don't know it, it's interesting and both these genres tend to be maligned by, yes you know, <laughs> that's the, another the, reason why it's important bougie mainstream hollywood so, so yeah. Um, yeah always good to get some genre uh, praise in there um, I feel like if we had this award last year, we would have both tried to just get in Fury Road, despite not being either a comedy or a horror film. <laughs> but yes, uh, it was it was very funny. Um, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I mean, Morton Joe was pretty scary. Yeah, <laughs> it's gave me nightmares. <laughs> uh, but this year, it's gonna go to a comedy or a horror film. So. <laughs> Um, but yes, it's basically, I like it though. I, I kind of consider it the like genre film award. Uh, it's great. Um, uh, I also, uh, nice little South Park tie in with our next one, the member Berry award, which is, uh, you know, because we live in a, live in a world now that, uh, is, is, cannot help itself, but looking back to the past, uh, particularly, when it comes to our movies so uh we're just gonna have to deal with it and award the least worst nostalgia tie-in <laughs> yeah the least worst i really want i had it as best this is a true story nope, i had yeah. it as best yeah. in my in my original like draft of the award and then i was like no i can't do that <laughs> yeah it's uh like i don't even know that we're gonna have enough nominees to fill out this category <laughs> yeah it, i mean well i mean you have enough movies that well, that's, uh, that's especially why it's the least worst. If it was best, I would just be like, no, I don't want to put anything in here. Yeah, yeah. So um, that'll be that'll be fun. There'll be a big pool to work with, and uh, very few films I'm actually going to feel like highlighting. So uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll go there. I'm struggling to think of nominees, but there are some, so I'm I'm okay with that. Well, and any. Thing that's from a franchise. I mean, a sequel. Shit, just, you know, you, you could practically call it the Jurassic World Award. Yeah, particularly a sequel of a movie that has existed for a while, <laughs> or a soft reboot, mm-hmm. which has become very popular lately. Um, so our next one is based on an actor we love to name drop, who I I still don't know if anyone really really knows yet but <laughs> it's the the scoop mcnary award which goes to the best character actor of the year just sort of that that guy who doesn't really play a lead role or really a supporting role he's just sort of there and uh, but he was really fucking good and you remember that part of the movie because scoop mcnary is everywhere he is everything uh he is life all he is all. He um, is who is. He is both the drama and the. Uh, he, he's both the comedy and the tragedy and the theatrical masks. Uh, <laughs> he's the wind beneath my wings. 
Yeah, I mean, he was he was first introduced to us in um, Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One, a Star Wars movie, his first movie, Monsters, uh, where he gave a largely mediocre performance up until the last about five minutes or so, and then he turned into Leonardo DiCaprio, amazingly. <laughs> and then he never went away. He never went away. He's just been Leonardo DiCaprio in, in like, in one scene. One scene in everything. <laughs> he, he popped up in, like, Argo, which I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then he wound up in, he wound up in 12 Years a Slave, which I, I uh-huh. like, I, I still, I think, like, me and James had to, like, slap each other to make sure we both saw Wait, that. What? Um, he was a Gone Girl for one of the most dramatically potent scenes. Uh, he was even in the last season of Fargo for a few episodes. He's he's doing stuff. I mean, he's not without his bad his bad uh, lines. He was in uh, Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice, so uh, you know he's he's not infallible, but he's is definitely a character actor worth naming an award category after. We if there, think if, if there is any justice in this world, when they bring Superman back, it'll be Scott McNary that emerges from the grave. Scott McNary's like I'm Superman Scoot now. McNary. Yeah, I'm, it's better than the other guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, it's just Henry Cavill's terrible Superman. <laughs> so fucking dour. Anyway, um, and uh, then one that I, uh, I, I I've seen referenced before as a potential, uh, you know, awards category that that the Oscars should include. Um, so I just kind of stole for that, but the uh, Just Watch This Part Award, which is the best scene of the year, um, which is phenomenal for our uh, short attention span culture who uh, watches, you know, movies in the form of YouTube clips. So here you go. The best the best YouTube clip from a film of the year. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's going to be a good one. I already have like a lot of ideas for this one, so it's going to be hard to pare that one sure. down. Too. I also for this next one too, not to do two in a row. I'll let you do the last two. Um, actually, no, there's only one after this. But uh, the uh, Bane Award, phenomenal, phenomenal name, and of course, uh, it's it's also got a tinge of irony to it because the uh, so this is the award for best for the most quotable line. Not Which could be best, best line. line. I, I don't it know. Could, no, no, no. I like the idea of doing most quotable. They're different. Okay, all right, um, most quotable line. What, like for example, Rosebud is a quotable movie line. It's not really a great movie line. It doesn't really, in and of itself, mean anything. It's it's what it symbolizes that makes it memorable, and you can quote it. That's true. Like uh, let them fight. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the words in and of it's a distinction between the words themselves and what they signify, mm. um, which sounds stupid when I say it like that, but you know what I mean. Um, but I also love the, the tw- tinge of irony. It's named the Bane Award because uh, I think literally every single word that comes out of Bane's mouth in The Dark Knight Rises is uh, a phenomenal, memorable line. And we've both talked about this. Um, I, I can't think of a wasted – literally cannot think of a wasted sentence uh, uh, that that character spouts. They're all pretty phenomenal. Um, the irony – it comes from the fact that the the Bane, the cinematic representation of Bane before that one, every single word that came out of his mouth was Bane. He's usually flexing while he does it too. Just the, the, In the course of like fifteen short years, he went from a Pokemon to a Shakespearean. Character. <laughs> 
Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did he... I, I'm pretty sure Joel Schumacher just saw one panel of Bane, and that was with a comic book, you know, bubble of the words Bane in all caps. He's like, that's what it is. That's what he says. That's his. Yeah, I, I must ask you, yeah, was there ever a representation in the comics before that point where Bane was just a mindless monster that only said his name? God, no. I mean, okay. uh, I I want to universally say no, uh, but I have to admit to having not seen every scrap of Batman comics in in the right. original in the original but, chronology. But in at very least in <laughs> all, a lot of the major arcs, particularly um, like the ones Nightfall. that involve Bane, not a chance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. Um, and then this last award um, is your brainchild. Uh, I came up with the snappy name, but it was really, really you. Uh, and it's a Punch Drunk Love Award for the best performance by a subpar actor, and inspired, of course, by Paul that's, Thomas that's, Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. I was like, do we need any inspiration? Do we need any, ugh, need any explanation here? <laughs> yeah, Punch Drunk Love starring Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler gave an Academy Award worthy nomination one time. Yeah, performance worthy of a nomination exactly one oh time. Oh my god, wow, it's, I'm tired, sorry. Um, yeah, one time for Paul Thomas Anderson, he did it. He found it within himself to do it. Um, and then he returned to uh, make poop jokes and uh, insult people of other races for for years to come. Years, and he's still doing it, so... Still doing it. <laughs> and hopefully world. we won't have to nominate someone as, as offensive as that, but let's, let's find out... Um, we, as I said, we don't have the nominations yet. We just wanted to set up the awards because we think we're really excited about it, and it's gonna give us more, give us more prestige. Okay, you know, it's like more... you don't need to pay attention to the Academy. You know, it's like what do they have that we don't have? We got dick jokes. Okay, but they I couldn't got... even nominate Sausage Party. <laughs> God. Uh, oh yeah, we did have a thing going on about that. Whether it will be nominated. Yeah, we did, we did, and, and no, it wasn't. Uh, no, it was not. <laughs> and no one's even really talking about it, so... Not even for Alan Mankin. I mean, man. <laughs> uh, that was a good opening number. I mean, come on, it was, yeah, it was really good. It said we uh, got two La La Land songs. Okay. <laughs> yeah, come on, yeah, come on. <laughs> my, my sister is really pulling for Lin-Manuel Miranda for his song in Moana. Well, um, yeah, which... and he might actually win because the other two might cannibalize each other from La La Land. That's true. They split the vote, you know? That's true. I would not put my money on it, but that's possible. I think because City of Stars is like the clear... It's funny because neither of those songs is my favorite on the soundtrack, <laughs> but uh, they're like the two that are nominated. And City of Stars was like, I think, set to be the one. Like I, I like on the soundtrack even, it's like featuring City of Stars. And I'm like, really? City of Stars is like <laughs> one of the most boring ones on the soundtrack, I thought. Yeah, like I don't know. I, I personally... and how are they going to play the whole song without just playing the entire movie in the real? <laughs> personally, right? I don't get it. No stars. <laughs> personally, I like. I I mean, I think that the uh, opening number is both one of the most insanely catchy songs I've ever heard in my life, and also kind of epitomize what the movie's actually about so i don't know i would i would go for that or even someone in the crowd over uh city of stars but hey uh they're all great i love the soundtrack um 
but yeah. Also, if Lin Manuel wins, uh, he will have a P got. Normally, it's just an E got, which is you know the Emmy. Uh, oh yeah, Tony. But he would have a P got because he also has a Pulitzer Prize from writing Hamilton. So, Bam. Uh, uh, Hamilton is phenomenal, by the way. I I've not seen it, but I've been listening to it obsessively. But I saw them stand up to the man on Twitter. So. And uh, no, boy, okay. oh boy. <laughs> uh, right, we should get on to movies, man. Like, oh my god, we still have two fucking movies to talk about. Two fucking movies. We'll keep this terse. These are both short documentaries, so it should be pretty movies. easy. Yeah, okay. Which one do you want to start with? Um, let us let us start with the one that is most distant in my memory, which is... Uh, um, the, one that's not, the one that's not nuts. Yes, the one that's not nuts. Before. Don't be wrong, it's, it's nuts, but it's not... No, I'm kidding. Clearly it's fading. Uh, yes, I get it. Um, <laughs> Tower. All right, this is actually a movie that... I, you you um, were pushing for this one, but it's interesting because before you mentioned it, uh, I hadn't heard of it until the uh, one of the co-hosts of my favorite film podcast uh, listed it as his number one film of the year. It's Adam Kempinar on uh, Film Spotting. He mm-hmm. named it his number one film of the year, and that totally piqued my interest and i'm like what is this fucking movie i'd never heard of before and i I saw the trailer it looked very strange because it was a documentary um about the one of the first actually i think it was the first mass school shooting uh in the country um but it was depicted in rotoscope and the characters they were interviewing seemed much younger than they should have been if they were around for this event in the 60s Uh uh-huh um (laughs) So you're uh, catching on. <laughs> yeah. Well, slowly everything came together, and I realized <laughs> that this is a bit of an interpretive take on uh, uh, on the documentary form. Um, so, uh, yeah. So this film takes a very interesting approach. Uh, it interviews all of the, uh, you know, everyone it interviews from that day who survived the attack or who was at the at the location uh they they recorded their interviews and then they had them read off by younger people younger actors playing them uh who would also reenact basically what happened uh on the day of the shooting um and then uh that footage would be rotoscoped over kind of in a similar way that richard linklater uh did for films like waking life and scanner darkly um and it had a very interesting effect on the film. It made it a lot more surreal and dreamlike. Um, it also, I think, made it a lot more uh, subjective and cinematically dramatic. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I've heard it described as as action packed, right? It, Which is not. It is, it is. It really is. But yeah, I mean, it's not something you generally hear about a, a documentary. You know, a documentary. Oh, it, I mean, it's it, it, particularly it, even if you want to take the more the more. I suppose casual interpretation of of documentary is just sort of like a dry, factual based, like you know, a retelling of information. Well, that's uh, what I'm know. saying. Yeah, yeah, there's a journalistic documentary, and then there's there's something like this, which, like I said, it, it's the ways that filmmakers are experimenting with documentary in the last you know few years and actually i mean really the last few decades have basically amounted to how much can we pull from fictional narrative cinema how much of these storytelling techniques can we kind of you know 
reappropriate into you know a true story without it actually denigrating it into fiction how how much is too much and, and basically figuring out how much of these um these stylistic flourishes you can use before you're you know fudging the line between truth and fiction mm-hmm. um and i think tower balances that masterfully i mean there's there's even i would say one scene in this that um i, I mean there's multiple scenes in this that just kind of uh, affect me very emotionally that aren't just talking heads but like even something as simple as like two characters who are playing chess and hear over the radio that there's uh there's a shooting going on yeah on the school and then the music kicks in as soon as they you know because they think it's an air an air rifle or bb gun uh, they, yeah, and then uh, so they they kind of run off excited to go see what all the commotions about because they think it's just innocent fun, and the music just kicks in, and there's this second where like there's all this kinetic energy going on, and I was, it was just a, you know it, it's something that you would expect to see in a, a docudrama or, or some sort of you know fictional representation of the events, but they you know they, they're able to work a scene like that into a documentary really seamlessly without without seeming to dis respect what's what actually took place in the lives that were lost in fact it's always um the the, there's a really effective use of the actual gunshots in the movie there's always yes definitely i mean this shit popping in the background it's amazing how unmistakable this movie is as a documentary when you actually watch it right you know i going into it i had all these questions you know how is it going to manage to be a documentary with all this this artifice if you will um, but having watched it, I'm like, yeah, this is a, this is a documentary movie, and I, I don't know how you can make an argument against that. No, yeah, I, and no one is making an argument against. No, no, it. no one is. Yeah, this is this it, isn't a controversy. No, um, no, it, it's actually gotten pretty like unanimous. Wait, actually, acclaim. it actually has a 100 percent approval rating on on Rotten Tomatoes for whatever that's worth. I, <laughs> I think documentaries always tend to get higher. Uh, they do. It's much people have a harder time critiquing them for whatever reason. But yeah, well, I, and that's the thing when you get into documentaries like uh, like The Act of Killing or Tower or something like this. I feel like you invite it, it's it's gutsy because you do invite that criticism a bit more because when you, you're dealing with something that's very straightforward, that's talking heads, archival footage and um, documents, how do you really criticize that? You can basically only criticize how the information is arranged, but you can't really, I mean, you can't dispute facts. At least one would think. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> let's not get in there yet. <laughs> yeah, no, not yet. It's it's a bit bit premature for that. But um, doing something like this, I feel, is a lot more risky. You you really run the risk of adding this like level of falsehood to it because these are literally performances. These like even the the testimonials. Most of the time, what you're hearing are people mm-hmm. reading back dialogue that was recorded uh, Although- from somebody else. I mean, when we, we we can sort of get into the the more finer details, the way the way the film intersperses the actual interviews is amazingly done, and it almost sort of reveals because I knew knew nothing really about this, and honestly, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a lot a lot of people knew about 
uh, you know, all the details, the the intimate mm-hmm. personal details of the individuals involved. I mean, these are people who, before this film, had never even, never been asked to talk about this before, mm-hmm. um, for largely anyway. And <laughs> in some cases, it seems like the reveal of the of the actual interview you know of the of the real life person that was letting us know okay this person survived and you sort of have this like this i had this really emotional reaction this this sigh of relief of oh. well and it's literally just i mean there are some scenes that are more overtly emotional but the the first reveal of the like kind of the break the breaking yeah like the breaking away of the artifice it's just a quick cut it'll mm-hmm. go from her like rotoscoped younger self um, the actress portraying her to the actual person who gave the interview, and they'll intercut between the two voices, giving the same giving the same interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like weirdly effective to see both those. You know, you 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 get both the talking head and the dramatic representation of it, and it's it's weirdly effective. And I've never seen that done in a documentary before. It's. Um, I'm surprised at how well it worked. It, it could have come off, I think, kind of... It really ran the risk of coming off as disrespectful, but it was amazingly effective. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing, too, when you're just sort of, like, reenacting this. I mean, reenactments are, in in certain contexts, like like investigation discovery or something can be really mm-hmm. offensive and salacious. Hey, hey that's informative murder porn, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's informative murder porn, yeah. So, I mean, and just, you know, by that South Park-inspired name, you have to, you kind of realize the tone that they're dealing with, and it's it's not respectful at all, because that, that was another thing I was really skeptical about going into Towers, like, how is this going to be okay? And it is. I mean, mostly because they do interview or did interview everyone they who is represented uh, on the within reason. I think so, some people may have died before they had the chance to. Um, but to the best of their ability, these are accurate and, and respectful portrayals of people. And this, it, it's emotional. Uh, it, emotional is the best adjective i can use to describe the documentary as a whole and it hits you on multiple multiple levels at multiple different times it's sort of i i felt like i was a punching bag a little bit with with tower you know just getting like hit right in the feels a lot um Mm -hmm. and and as i said on, on several different points whether it be from the transition or the reveal that this person actually survived this horrible thing or through the through just seeing either of them talk about the events, you know, when I think when Claire uh, finally brings up Tom, um, who is by the way dead next to her, dead, um, yeah, yeah, that that was a that was a really emotional moment for me. So um, when they go back and re recap their relationship up until that point and what it yes, meant. yeah, I mean it's just yeah. it's just tragic and they're they're able I think to to pull it off in such a way where they can make it about, about not just about the tragedy, but about tragedy and about, um, you know, loss and grief and, uh, you know, all these greater themes uh, that of course, yes. that of but, course o- overarches these, but still. Yeah. But you are leading into a, a point about the film that I actually particularly like, which is, uh, it's actually maybe the most surprising bit to me it it in no way ever um turns into any sort of broader statement about 
gun violence or school shootings. It only it, because that's actually very much not not the point. That's not at all what it's trying to communicate. It actually does something that's honestly a lot harder for a modern audience, which is to take them back into this mindset of people who have no idea what a school shooting is. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> and it's not and, common. And it actually gives you to feel there. And I think that's this is why the rotoscoping is really effective because it and why it's important to feel disoriented when you're watching this because that's exactly how the situation felt to everybody involved in this. Uh, the police officer, the the you know, the kids who thought this was just innocent fun who wanted to go, you know, see if they can get a kick out of their afternoon. Um, and it, it, like the people are asking, you know, they're asking themselves questions that you know today. You you hear about a school shooting now, and you interview people who were there. No one thinks these thoughts anymore because everyone knows exactly what this is. This is so inundated in the culture now. Um, and yeah, uh, no one's gonna think like, oh, this is a firecracker. You know, no, no, I hear a firecracker and I think it's a gun. You know, it, it, it's like the word gun in school in the same sentence. They're not gonna run off, and they're like off, you know, in a suburb. They're not gonna go run off to the school in search of a good time. They they're not gonna think that it's lighthearted fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Richard Brody at The New Yorker, actually, uh, he, he read his little blurb on the film, and he made a really good point about how um, there's an element of uh, in all the interviews of memories that have been long forgotten and that, have, that, that are kind of coming not too late, but that, you know, there's like this question of why no one asked about them sooner. <laughs> and like that the, the, these have just been kind of like fossilized emotions that have just been like preserved for decades that are finally becoming unearthed. And that I, I got that notion watching it too. It, it kind of takes you out of the now. It doesn't, I mean, you, you can, you can draw connections to the present day, however you want, but the documentary itself very much avoids the topic of our modern relationship with guns and focuses pretty intently on just what it did to this like weird, town in te- i mean austin but you know this, this you know this weird city in texas where uh, no one was thinking it was you know 60s era and no one was thinking about you know violence or uh you know it, it was it was um, like the most lighthearted time for you know kind of the opening of pandora's box for you know the rest of the 20th century in america uh where where school shootings slowly become normalized yeah i mean what i think this movie did that reminded me of a different documentary i saw this year Mm -hmm. called called newtown did you hear about that one no i haven't there's a documentary about newtown yeah yeah you know involving the sandy hook shooting and that documentary was actually really good because it it doesn't it hardly focuses on the event itself at all. It's really, it's interviews of how people are dealing with it, how people in Newtown are dealing with the Sandy Hook shooting after the fact, particularly the bereaved parents. And it becomes a lot more about grief, but what this does, that Tower does also, for the most part anyway, is it doesn't talk about the person who committed the crimes. Yeah, in, yeah. in Newtown, it's a little more obvious because there's an interview with someone who was a neighbor of Adam Lanza, but 
they never say in the movie, you know, they never examine Adam Lanza, you know, it's not about him. I mean, fuck him, you know, and fuck the guy fuck. who did the fuck Charles Whitman, the guy who, who, who right. But, but, but here's the thing though, you, you, you go up to a modern audience and you say Adam Lanza, they're a lot more likely to know who that is than Charles Whitman. Well, yeah. And I actually told, so, I actually told a few people that I saw a documentary Newtown and they were both like, what's that? And I was like, Newtown, and they, it, it Wait, like struck the, me that they the, both the would have known immediately if I said Sandy Hook. Yes, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not about it's about you know, in that from that perspective, it's about the massacre, the Sandy Hook massacre. It's not about the town in which it took place and the people who it affected. You know, I mean, in their minds, and that makes total sense. Our reaction, and I like that the documentary gave a different perspective in both of these movies in Tower. It, it was about the people affected by this crime. It wasn't necessarily about the crime itself, and it certainly wasn't about the perpetrator of said crime. Yeah, but the funny thing is with New... I, I have not seen Newtown, so I can't mm-hmm. say anything definitively. But for Newtown, I imagine that that question of who the shooter is might come across your mind several times, even if you know they're not depicting it. The funny thing with Tower is that most people don't know who the shooter is, and I never once thought throughout the entire thing... I, I never once wondered who he was, like what, like you know, what his history was, who, why he was doing what he was doing. I, these things didn't cross my mind because it's 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 background noise at this point. Mm-hmm. Much like the bullet shots in power uh, yeah. <laughs> are constantly used as like almost a metronome, which is really disturbing and a, a super effective way to kind of keep pace in the film. Um, and they never really stop throughout the yeah, entire I, movie. I have to say, I wasn't quite I'm, I'm not sure that i was on board with the uh inclusion of of walter cronkite's monologue about the event afterwards and and maybe yeah. even the montage of other school shooting of news footage from other school shootings that have happened oh, since then yeah 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 that's i guess and that's kind of contradicting what i said but i, I so yes in that sense i i agree with you because to me, that's not really what the documentary was about in the first place. No, and it, it seemed really jarring. And I know it didn't it didn't end on that note, which is great, um, but it almost ended on that note. I think there's like maybe like one more one more uh, sentiment from from Claire about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't mean to like impose me. You know, if if that's what the filmmakers wanted to depict, then that's what they wanted to depict. But the the film as a whole is not. An exploration into the nature of school shootings in general. It, it, it's not Bowling for Columbine. It's not. Well, yeah, and I think if the film, way. if that's what the film wanted to predict, giving them the benefit of the doubt, they didn't do a good job of it. So no, no, not at all. And I, I would give it, I would hold that against it if I thought that was indeed what they were going for. But um, no, I, I think the subject of this was specifically this notion of being jarred out of a relatively innocent and peaceful time in, and basically into the modern notion of school shootings becoming uh, almost mundane like this i'm sorry i guess i guess being taken out of that mindset entirely and being put back into a time when that was something that no one really knew how to respond to no one understood what it was um it didn't make sense to people and it, who were then suddenly put in the most vulnerable positions they've ever been in their life mm-hmm. uh, and uh, honestly, just hearing the testimony from those people and seeing it represented the way it was was enough for me. That was it was beautifully done. Um, I didn't need any more. 
So yeah, yeah, I, and you know, I, I mean, if those, those if it really was just meant to be like a montage transition into the present, then that's fine. I, but when I saw it, it felt like they were trying to make it about that issue. I mean, just in that moment, anyway, trying to make it about the issue of school shootings all along, rather than this sort of um, this this sort of a uh, being. But sort of the country being stripped of its innocence in terms of school shootings, you know, that's sort of yeah, yeah, totally. Thing. And 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 I mean, because that's the thing. What matters in this case is what matters in this case are the individual people, the characters, the the you know Claire, the you know the, her story with like it going into her background with with her boyfriend, um, mm-hmm. talking about her baby. Those things are relevant because and all that's the people, the all the incidental people situation. who just happened to be in the area or saw people hurt hurting and being unable to (laughs) to to save them you know yeah totally that like to me that's what the documentary is about the dude's glasses falling off and then being able to see nothing but a blur until until they had you know his quote which is one of the most amazing things about how he still feels this like cold like dot in the center of his back which where is he where imagined he got he, shot. You know? He imagined he got shot, and then where that bullet was supposed to go, um, that was like, I, I mean, fuck. <laughs> that was um, stuff like that to me is what makes this documentary so interesting and novel. It's not the school shooting stuff because we've seen documentaries about that before. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I could do for a, a huge eight hour OJ Simpson style. <laughs> expose uh, into that but this is not that movie this is not what they were going for no it's not school shootings made in America. no 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 they were talking about a, they were taking a very different approach which i in general approve of um and i'll agree with you that those two touches were not really in sync with what i thought the movie as a whole was really about um but at the end of the day that's a that's a nitpick to me nitpick, yeah they're still phenomenal films or sorry still a phenomenal film um Wait a minute. <laughs> Get to the other one. What Freudian slip? <laughs> what Freudian slip? No, I mean, but especially if we're talking about the transition between uh, a, an innocent nation to a more, much more jaded one, then nuts Christ. is relevant in that conversation. Back when, back when, uh, <laughs> back and again, when, before you, before you say that, I want to remind people: just watch this movie before reading anything about it and before listening to our review on yes. it just yes. watch it and then come back yes please this is going to be a spoiler territory the whole time so literally the entire time so we won't even feel the need to uh have to preface that any more than we already have um uh yes back when snake oil salesmen were a novelty yeah no one no one knew I, I, what that was <laughs> And uh, now they run the fucking country. Anyway, um, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, this—it's actually true. So I saw um, nuts before the before Trump was considered to have a reasonable chance of winning, and then I watched it again today after, obviously, we have President Donald Trump, and so it's sort of. It's amazing how much that this now informs what I saw before when I hadn't really considered it in that context. Um, and it, one thing that Nuts does do, uh, which is, so Nuts is a biography, uh, biographical a, a, a documentary, biographical documentary about a 
an incredibly influential character in American history who I think I had literally never once heard of before. And, and neither had I. And uh, all John, I had was a trailer about this weird doctor who apparently was transplanting goat, testicles goat glands on... from testicles to cure impotence. Yep. Um, and the premise of this movie is that that's what he was doing and that it was successful. And it was so successful successful that uh, uh, John R. Brinkley uh, managed to then take all of his money, um, run almost successfully for, uh, was it mayor? Governor. Uh, governor, I'm sorry, governor of Kansas. Governor of Kansas. Governor of Kansas. <laughs> like, that is and, a reasonable uh, step away from the White House. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, then eventually uh, create what was at the time the uh, biggest radio station in the country and in the actually world, I think in the world you're right um and uh actually uh sort of define the modern at the time contemporary notion of what radio was how radio shows were structured and what they featured um and then yeah, so, so you get the sense of this whole empire that this man built. And then the latter half of the film is basically... Uh, well, they, they... They burny you, essentially. <laughs> um, they do they but, do burny you, yeah. And they burny you in a much less sort of compromising way. Um, where... You're sort of you're not really morally conflicted. The way, the way no. you, I, I described it is that you're, you're tricked. And... It's that, such an amazing thing that that uh, Penny Lane, not the Beatles song, the director of Nuts, um, <laughs> that Penny Lane was able to do, is that she was able to to trick you the way John R. Brinkley tricked everybody back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can I'm just gonna read like a quote verbatim from the from the website where she's talking about this. She says, "Nuts is not a film that allows us to sit back and laugh at the dummies who fell for Brinkley's bullshit. Instead, it's a film that shows us that we're all dummies." Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, it's someone which, who, which, even if you, you don't know, believe like, his, even if you don't necessarily believe that this surgery could work going into it, you sort of you're sort of rooting for him. You know, it's you want him to. He's the... a charming guy. You want him yeah. to succeed. You want this surgery to be cool because that's just a novel. That's just a novelty. It's a cool story. And you want these cool stories to be true. So you're like, I'm rooting for this guy. And you sort of see people set up as antagonists, people who are working against him. And then by the end of the movie, you're sort of, you're shown that everything you've been led to believe is, you know, is fraudulent and you're sort of left in this position where you're like, well, fuck. It, it, I, that, that's a brilliant quote, and you just summed it up. It kind of like the what makes this movie so topical and relevant really perfectly. It did fundamentally alter how I view idolaters and people yeah. <laughs> who like will, will rally behind a populist figure because you kind of do the same thing here and you believe it. And even though you're like, cause things you can even hear that rational part of your mind going, he didn't that, that treatment with goat grab goat ball graphing is not real. That's not going to work. There's no fucking way. And you would have known about this and this is no, this is not, this is bullshit. This is pseudoscience. Um, 
you completely suppressed, at least I did, completely suppressed that part of my reasoning. Oh, no, I totally did. Com- completely. Like, it was there, but I just didn't listen to it at all. I, I put it in the back of my head, and I was just totally compelled by this revel, like, by, by this supposedly revolutionary procedure, and this, like, totally engaging character of, uh, of Dr. Brinkley, who then basically had the same trajectory as Charles Foster Kane in Citizen Kane. <laughs> he just gained political influence, gained media um, power, and sort of like rebuilt America in his image. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 that's a bit of a lofty description, but it like, is, yeah. But that's kind of, you know, that's the the nature of what he was doing. And so you kind of get caught up into this megalomania. And then the whole, yeah, there's just this this elongated court case where uh, basically every single medical success that he claimed, um, that he touted and built his career upon, was slowly unraveled and dismantled and proven to be a lie. Well, and so... Um, and what what you realize too, and what probably you should have realized, I should have realized, is that the documentary they say is based on the biography of mm. of John John R. Brinkley, which which you later find out was com- was commissioned totally fabricated to, and uh, totally fabricated. I mean, and you so the first half being based on that, and then the second half debunking that is what it is. So you're really you're being told this this fantastical story, which has contained such ridiculous examples as uh, at one point uh, he outlines how everyone who opposed him in, in, in the Federal Radio Commission later and usually very shortly after died died horrible deaths <laughs> like at one point one person being like mangled <laughs> by a tr- tracks yeah, yeah. i'd come to find out that he is he's still alive a- none of that in- happened not only is he alive he's in the courtroom <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's i'm not right sure there. i'm not sure i'm not sure if that part literally happened but yeah i mean it actually um she did set up a whole website of like footnotes of things like where, and even was, was upfront at sometimes like, yeah, I, I sort of, we made up this part because it made for a better story. And actually she sort of, um, uh, even omitted a few details that would have maybe hinted the audience that this guy was more of a steak snake oil salesman than the book was letting us, was leading us to believe. But you know, that was the point of this documentary. So I, I can forgive her yeah. that. And I, I want to, I'm, I mean, I've, I'm starting to feel like I'm just letting her sell her own film, but I, I feel like she's talked about this her movie better than I could. Um, well, yeah, and, and so I want to read. I want to read two more things, which is sure, sure. Once she says it's, it was, it, it, this is exactly what you were describing too. She says it's important um, that even those who consider ourselves very skeptical and think we walk around employing our, our critical capacities at all times, nonetheless, we can all get fooled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. exactly what you're talking about with you know i'm i'm a critical person i know this is junk science but we didn't we bought into it but we bought into it yeah exactly like where it mattered where it mattered i was sold yeah and, and the, the other very- thing <laughs> also plays into what you're saying about politicians she says i believe more than any other single human quality it's our love of great stories that makes us so endlessly susceptible to being conned we yes. believe the stories we we want or need to believe and we believe anyone who tells them to us. Common oh know this. God. So do politicians, propagandists, pitchmen, cult leaders, televangelists, pickup artists, and manipulators of all kinds, including 
documentary filmmakers. Dude, you are leaving me at a loss for things to say. I know. I read this thing. That's that's why I'm saying them because I, I read I read her I read her quotes about it and I was like, I I cannot that's say it. it better. That's it. That's like a nail on the head. Um, I, I guess the only thing I want to add, really, and I think it's I mean it's fitting. This is a really short movie, and it's and actually it's pretty, so at some points I think it's kind of padded, but we may yeah weirdly weirdly yeah kind of. Um, it's so it's very terse and, and and you know it it embodies this, this idea pretty like consistent consistently throughout it's it's very like you know it 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 you know it, it's very purposeful um in you know in its representation um but i do think it's interesting and this is i i think this documentary might actually be the most um precipitous version of documentary that i've seen teetering on fiction because you know because because like you said we you know the the, um experimentation with documentary Mm -hmm. since the thin blue line in the 80s has been how much fiction can you introduce into the documentary and still have it be considered nonfiction, still be considered a document something that is reflective of the truth um and, you know, we've seen that played played with a lot. Um, you know, you can consider even in Tower. You know, technically, those were performed. Uh, mo- m- you know, most of the interviews you see were performed. Um, yes. The, technically, these are quote unquote lies. You know, lies in pursuit of a greater truth. That's kind of how mm-hmm. cinema is generally described, or art in general is described. This is the only documentary I think I've ever seen that blatantly feed you incorrect information for a non-negligible chunk of the runtime. <laughs> yeah, probably the majority. It is maybe the gutsiest move I've ever seen a doc- in, a, in a documentary. Um, and I don't really necessarily have any too much to add about that because there's not really a question to me of whether or not that was effective or the right thing to do. It it was like that it was, was undoubtedly effective was, and undoubtedly I, I, the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Except just to, to point out that um, like this story would have been dull as dirt if it had, if it had been represented traditionally, if it, if they hadn't, you know, pulled the rug out from underneath us. Well, yeah. And it would have let us as like smug, you know, millennials in condescend. 2017 condescend exactly to people who could have possibly got fooled. Be like, wow, they believe that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it would like this made us believe it, and then, yeah. and then, as you said, pulled the rug out from under us, made us feel stupid for believing it, and that's right. something that they couldn't have done in a traditional documentary form. Right. Um, or exactly. even like a biopic form, to be honest. You know. No, exactly, and that's. So, so uh, it's it's not really I'm not really trying to draw into question whether or not it is justified because I think pretty un- unequivocally it is um, it is justified. Uh, this was the best representation for this story. In fact, it was really the only way to make it meaningful, at least to the degree that they did. Um, but it, mainly, I just want to point it out to show that you know anyone who's got a limited understanding or a limited definition of documentary really ought to see this and approach this genre with a more open mind 
because I and, and honestly filmmakers as well, I would love to see more work like this because yeah, it, because I, I feel like documentary is so often treated as a limitation. And don't get me wrong, I, I think for some, for actually, I mean, really a, a lot of subjects, journalistic restraint is the best path. It is the the smartest. Uh, it, and, and most effective way to create a picture of what happened or of the truth. Um, but I think watching a film like this is a pretty jarring reminder that that's not always the case and that we should always be open to representing facts in a different way in order to emphasize or really bring home a point. Um, and in, in this case, it's the malleability of the human <laughs> of the human intellect, basically. Um, I mean, and this might be with all the with all the documentaries I've seen this year. This might be the boldest documentary on the is, market uh, in yeah. 2016. I I was yeah, uh, not to be trite, but uh, I just keep thinking of the Jason Bateman from Dodgeball. It's just like it's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Let's see if it pays off. And, and you know uh, what? It's- it paid off. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I think that uh, Nuts is maybe the most interesting uh, subversion of a lie that I've, I've ever seen. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, it is an interesting subject, though, this documentary's relationship with falsehood. And truth. Yes, it, and truth, because, because it's not nothing. It's, it's not, you know, <laughs> documentaries are not solely uh, beholden to talking heads and documents uh mm-hmm. it's, it's it's much more messy than that and nuts is the perfect example and i should have said this before i might splice it in nuts is on amazon prime so you can watch it mm-hmm. right now you can watch it again and again <laughs> and it's only an hour so you can watch it like a little over an hour so it's, you could watch it many many times even in the course of one afternoon yeah and i think that was probably my only point of criticism which is it's hardly even worth discussing and that there was some some segments that just felt like b-roll of john uh-huh. R. brinkley that didn't serve to advance the story which is weird to say in a documentary but it's relevant in this one i mean just, i mean if they build his character a bit you know it's it's uh, yeah i know i just i remember like my mind sort of trailing off in those moments which is not really what i want out of a out right. of an 80 minute documentary. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. but <laughs> but that's like the nitpickiest of nitpicks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, none of those. I think I know. We, I, I think I had a similar experience, but also like, I don't know. N- none of those moments flew in the face of the documentary's central like focus to me. Which no, like, are arguably those two small bits in Tower, even though they they were kind of negligible in the long run. They they were kind of ideologically opposed in my mind to the broader mission of the documentary itself. So yeah, I, I would I would sense. hold. So I would I would hold those a bit more uh, as a as a legit criticism than um, the less compelling bits and nuts, which probably amount to a total screen time of two minutes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's that's the kind of padding you get in a movie that's this short. But hey, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, regardless, thanks for making me watch it. Because uh, this is, uh, it, I don't know, such a good year for documentary that it, it's hard to say anything. But like we we talked about the the varying degrees of bullshit for for being nominated. I think 
there is room. I mean, I'll have to watch the other two that I haven't seen, but right. it seemed to me that there was room for both of these. And Nuts especially mm-hmm. wasn't even eligible for Oscar yeah. consideration. Oh, yeah, it's, not that it's, it, it's not that it was eligible and didn't make the shortlist. It just wasn't it never, eligible. It, it literally never had a chance. Never had a chance. Anyways, yeah, that'll that'll wrap up our segment. That was a cool, like, terse two movies reviewed in, like, a half an hour. It was great. I honestly think that our pre... Our, our uh, news slash Oscar segment was probably as long as both of those combined. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'll probably need to trim it. But, hey, I, I think we had good conversations all around. I, I, I um, do, too. And, and honestly, two phenomenal documentaries that I, uh, like... Because like, I was like, I'm kind of like, I, I, I wasn't expecting to be as like, uh, surprised, I guess, as I was, I, I wasn't expecting as much experimentation and successful experimentation at that, um, that I saw. So, uh, um, kudos. Thanks. Thank this was all you too. So thanks for recommending these docs. Cause I, I know for a fact I would never have seen nuts. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, so. <laughs> I don't think many people have heard of this, and I, I have to thank too. And though they're, I'm sure they're not listening. Uh, so, you know, people at the at the Pickford, you know, I mean, and, and art, and this goes to like art house cinemas in general. That it's like, because that's where I saw advertisements for this movie, and that's where I saw this movie for the first time. You know, at my the Pickford Film Center, the local art house. So, mm-hmm. shout out to you guys and art house everywhere for getting these unconventional films screen time. I miss the Pickford so much. They're a phenomenal theater. They're, they're Any, really any, awesome. <laughs> anyone at or near Bellingham, please support them as much as you can. Yeah, no, they show great films all the time, and they showed they showed uh, Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea, which, which are both at the Barclay right now. But they showed them way before the Barclay was even paying attention to those movies. So nice, that's awesome. <laughs> um, I hear Regal's actually going to do a screening of all nine Best Picture nominees for like thirty bucks. Oh what? That's awesome. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm in. <laughs> Might be worth looking into. Um, yeah, I mean it'll be eight films I've seen before and Lion, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I actually wow, I have not seen a surprising number of the best picture nominations. I I, I managed to see every single one last year, um, so my goal is to catch up and and do the same this year. But I do have some work to do. So you um, have seen Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, um, Hidden Figures, and Lion. You got it. So yes, five out of nine I've seen. So I got some catching up to do. Yeah, um, and that's really what is going to uh, take over our next couple of weeks is just catch up. Um, <laughs> we're going to be catching up on movies that either we need to see for Academy uh, to be, you know, to have a discussion, have a voice in the Academy Awards discussion, or um, because they're movies that we think might end up on our top ten list at the end of the year. Um, so we're doing our we're doing our homework last minute. We're cramming for the exam, if you will. So next week is up in the air. It's going to be something that we haven't seen yet and want to, or it's going to be M Night Shyamalan split. <laughs> I mean, yeah, one it's going to be one of those two. And then there's going to, of course, going to be some awards talk in the middle. Um, but I, yeah, I think it was a great show this week. These are great documentaries. Definitely watch them both. Towers available on rental. Um, uh, Nuts is on Amazon Prime Instant. So mm-hmm. you, you have little excuse not to see these, especially with our very strong recommendation. And it's going to be a great show next week. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>